we look to the Lord and his word, please pray with me. Lord, as you sent your heralds, the prophets, to speak your word and turn hearts back to you, come now again, Lord, and speak your word and turn our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Please go ahead and be seated. Has anyone here ever had a bad day at work? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, he asks facetiously, knowing that anyone who has ever worked has had a bad day in that place, right? I had a somewhat comical bad day at work even this week. Started with a document. Now, I am convinced that those who have created these word processing softwares that we have become completely reliant upon have intentionally designed them to make random formatting changes that you can't undo. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? You know, that's how it started for me. You know, like, where did that space come from? And why can't I get rid of it, right? Then a volunteer came in and needed some help with the printer because it wasn't working right. And I pretended that I knew something about our printer and came to her aid. And as I'm sort of disassembling this thing, trying to, you know, follow the little instructions on a screen that's that's that big, I apparently removed the waste toner cartridge with a little too much force, and poof, this cloud billows forth of toner waste. I I tell you, we, we agreed, actually, if it had, like, hit me directly in the face, it would have been the stuff of some sort of a sitcom. I mean, it really was that funny. Um... We got that all cleaned up, put away. Later that same day, the, the, the stapler jams on me, and I'm having to like di- you know, dissect and, 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 and repair this stapler. And I think that was the point at which I decided two things. One, I'm going nowhere near the paper cutter today. <laughs> and two, I'm going to Starbucks to finish my day's work. <laughs> but I've also had other days that were not quite so humorous, bad days at work. Have you had some of those as well? Those kinds of days that make you question your very vocation and what you are even doing here, why you're even pretending anymore. Anybody else ever had those? Well, as dark and as difficult a day at work has ever been for me, I will confess, it has never gotten quite as grim as what John the baptizer was facing, especially at the beginning of our gospel text this morning. If you have your Bible, you'll want to turn to Matthew chapter 11 and follow along. Last week, we read about John, right? And his emerging ministry and how all Jerusalem and Judea was going out to be baptized by him. The beginning of his ministry on the surface, it looked like a, a tremendous success. Great crowds coming out to him and following him, right? Yet it was not long before John's prophetic ministry of speaking truth to power lands him in prison, effectively on death row. And understandably, under those circumstances, he's got some questions. Questions about his life, his vocation, in a way, even some questions about his boss, the one he was serving as forerunner and herald. So verse 2 says, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Do I have this right? 
John hears about what Jesus is doing. In the chapters just prior to this, Jesus has been going around Galilee. He's been healing. He has been, uh, you know, opening the eyes of blind and, and, and healing people that were lame from birth and lepers. And in fact, just before this passage, he's actually had sent out his 12 apostles with instructions to do the same things, to go and to do the same works and to preach the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. And clearly, word of all that had reached John even in prison. And yet he feels this, this sense of dissonance, dissonance between what he's hearing and what he's experiencing. If the Christ has come among us, why am I still the prisoner of a corrupt, barely Jewish puppet king? This is not the way the Jews expected the coming of the Messiah to look. Those who stood for truth, especially John, you know, the, the final prophet of God's old covenant and the herald of the new one coming in the Messiah, he had every expectation along with his countrymen and women that when Messiah came, he would restore Israel as the holy, set-apart, Edenic kingdom that it was promised to be. So John very understandably reasons there must be something wrong here. I must have missed something somewhere along the way. Some elements seem right, but others seem off. I must have missed something. Maybe this isn't the plan of God that I've been serving after all. Maybe there's more to it. Brothers and sisters, I've been on this journey of faith and I've been an ordained minister of the gospel long enough to relate to John's sentiments here. And I bet many of you can as well. I hear what the scriptures are saying. I see what the Lord is doing in my church or in the lives of people around me or even things that I've experienced in my own life. But then I have to ask, then why, why am I having this bad day at the office? Why am I still stuck here? Whatever here may represent at any given moment. The question may look different for all of us. For John, it was being stuck on death row in, in a prison cell. For some of us, it may be, why am I still experiencing this chronic pain issue? These financial difficulties or this depression a relational brokenness or a lack of victory over this besetting temptation. It sure looks like Jesus is at work in this church. Then why are we looking for a different location to meet? The tension John is feeling is the very tension that each of us faces or will face at some point in our journey following Jesus. A sense of dissonance, a disconnect. If God is God and Jesus is the Christ, and if I'm his loyal follower, why? Why this? And that brings us to Jesus' response to John's inquiry. Verse 4, And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. 
The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. The works of Jesus speak for themselves. You haven't heard wrong, dear cousin John. I am doing exactly what was promised, exactly what the scriptures foretold of the Christ. I have inaugurated the kingdom of blessing and peace. I brought healing, wholeness, salvation, resurrection, flourishing. So, and yes, this is a minor rebuke of John on Jesus' part. Blessed is the one who doesn't take offense at me. Even if I don't meet all the rest of your expectations, recognize that's just the problem. I'm not meeting your expectations. I am fulfilling the plan and purpose of God, though. I'm not being dismissive of true pain and suffering here. But I would observe that a lot of the dissonance, the, the sort of run-of-the-mill, if you will, dissonance, that we too often feel in our lives generally stems from the lack of fulfillment of our own imposed expectations. Expectations of life, expectations of other people, expectations of God. Poor John expected he would be treated better once the Christ that he announced actually came. He expected to see the promised blessings of that kingdom in that day, in his life. But he was never promised that. At his birth, Zechariah, his father, prophesied over him, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. There's nothing in that promise about personal blessing. Not that I'm even sure that that's what John was even necessarily concerned about. But neither is there any promise that he would live to see the fulfillment of this way that he was sent to prepare. It's been almost 800 years between the last prophet and him. So there was no promise that he would see it in his own day. The only promise is that he, John, had a part to play in the plan of God. He would be called a prophet, which the Lord himself fulfills for him in our text. Yes, a prophet and more than a prophet, says Jesus. The one who is to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. But that's it. Nothing in there about seeing the downfall of the puppet dict excuse me, dictator Herod. Nothing there about the overthrow of Roman occupation. Nevertheless, what Jesus effectively says to John here is that God is true to his word and therefore can be expected to fulfill his promises, but not necessarily John's or our expectations. Because as Jesus goes on to teach the crowd and elevates John as the greatest of those ever born of woman, he also underscores the root problem the underlying decay that leads to these thwarted expectations. Jesus says in verse 12, 
From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and violent and the violent take it by force. And then again, further down in verse 16, he says, but to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. These are two strong images that Jesus uses to, to teach us, to inform our understanding of the ailment behind dissonance, thwarted expectations. The first is the word about the kingdom, and the second, a word about the state of the human heart. First, the image of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. It's an image of a kingdom under siege, isn't it? Kingdom at war. This week I was uh, having, sitting at dinner with just my two youngest, everybody else was gone, and we got to talking about the War of 1812. Because yes, that's the kind of stuff we talk about at the dinner table when we aren't quoting movies to each other. Anyway, the question came up about how long the conflict of the War of 1812 lasted, and I noted to my children, that it was uh, part of a much larger and longer war between the English and the French. And actually, I went back and I did some research and realized that the English and the French had been at war more than they had been at peace for their history until World War I, which made them allies. Never mind the Hundred Years' War in the Middle Ages. In the early modern period, the Anglo-French Wars began in 1512, and didn't resolve until the defeat of Napoleon in 1814. During that 300 years, they only experienced about 50 total years of peace. Otherwise, they were at war. Kind of puts our modern protracted conflicts in, into a little bit of perspective, doesn't it? But the point is, the picture of a kingdom at war constant attack or threat of attack, having to take account of what it does to an economy to be at war, to elect or, or select leaders to face into being at war. That's the appropriate picture that Jesus wants us to hold in our minds as we think about his kingdom. Because the truth is, we live between ages. We live between what Jesus has already done and what has yet to be accomplished. That's the tension that we sort of face into in a season like Advent. Recognizing that we are preparing to celebrate again the great gospel events of what Jesus has already done, but also recognizing that we sit in tension waiting for his return. And that was the source of tension that John was feeling. Jesus already came and inaugurated, he launched his kingdom. But is his a kingdom at war, under siege by the enemy, until his returning when the kingdom will be consummated in the peaceable, perfect restoration of all things? That which we see foretold in Isaiah and Revelation and other places. So no, John, you didn't get it wrong. But yes, you will feel tension until Christ makes all things new. Yes, enemies of the kingdom will hold 
faithful men and women prisoner even today. Even today, men and women will lose their lives because of their commitment to truth. Yes, the spiritual enemies of your soul will continue to sow doubt and discord. Yes, sickness will still be a part of the human experience. Discord will still enter relationships, even Christian relationships. Because life in the kingdom of God, at least in this period of history, 2,000 years and counting, is life in a kingdom under siege, a kingdom at war. Life with an unresolved sense of dissonance. But the second image Jesus employs makes us mindful that the enemies of the kingdom are not only out there. It's not just the enemy at the gate. Sometimes we as flawed human beings can be our own worst enemies. Jesus goes on, he says, with what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Whiny, fickle children. Not content one way or the other. Jesus is, of course, speaking very specifically to those in his own generation, his own day, who were quick to reject John because of his ascetic lifestyle. They accuse him of having a demon. Right? I mean, locusts, wild honey, it's weird. But Jesus is like, yeah, great, you, you write him off because of that, but then I come and I'm feasting because I brought the kingdom with me and you reject me as well. You don't want it either way, do you? You're not going to be satisfied. Yet while he's calling out his detractors very specifically, Jesus' words also illuminate the heart issue of so much of the discord that we so often feel. It's because the human heart can be so fickle. Jesus' contemporaries aren't the only ones who aren't satisfied either way, are they? I can... I, I can relate to that malcontent lurking within. I feel a dissonance and a disconnect between my life and what is promised in the scriptures because I'm living in a kingdom of war. But also I feel a dissonance because my heart is fickle. I don't even know what I want some of the time and when I get what I think I wanted, I'm not happy with it. That's the human condition. It's a part of what the scriptures collectively call sin. So what are we to do? Just tell ourselves we're in a kingdom at war, best to buck up and, and learn to do without. Tell ourselves just stop being so fickle and will ourselves to do better? No, no. Some of us with ironclad willpower can get a long way. But no one can get all the way simply willing themselves to do so. So what are we to do? Circle back around to Jesus' original answer to John. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. 
lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. He was not using metaphors, brothers and sisters. These things were happening. The answer lies with Jesus and the power of what he has promised in his kingdom. The power that was at work in his ministry, at work through his apostles and still at work through the people of Jesus Christ today. Again, quoting the Lego movie, I know it sounds like a cat poster, but it's true. The answer is in Jesus and what he has done and is doing. When John was struggling in his moment of doubt, Jesus graciously roots him in the power of the gospel. Look around and see the kingdom of God is here and it is advancing. My presence and my power are here. I am here to deliver men and women from the fickle ways of their own hearts. And while my kingdom is under siege, in it there is real power. Power to transform, power to heal, power to raise the dead. Physically and spiritually. Power to transform, power to heal. So focus not on your thwarted expectations, but what I, what I am doing and what I have done and what I have promised to do. Brothers and sisters, when we are in the midst of our own bad days, either we can complain and, and focus on our own unmet expectations and allow that whiny inner child malcontent to have voice within us, or we can remember and experience Jesus' promise. Jesus who said, in this world you will have trouble, but I give you my peace. Fear not, I have overcome the world. We can focus on the trouble or we can claim the peace offered in the midst of it. We can choose to focus on what God isn't doing in my life that I would really wish he would do. Or I can ask for eyes to see what he is doing and be empowered to meet him in that place. I can choose to focus on the lesser things I want and think that I need. Or I can seek the spirit to empower me to seek first the kingdom of God and trust him that the rest will follow after. The power of the kingdom is the power to raise up the power to take our gaze off the impoverished, myopic view of our own navel and set it on something far greater, far grander. As that great hymn of the church says it, rise up, ye saints of God, have done with lesser things. Be done with them. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of kings have done with lesser things. That's the call of a season like Advent. To identify the ailment. A lot of my struggle stems from my fickle attempts to content myself with lesser things. And to hunger and thirst and not settle for lesser. 
to seek contentment only in the glory of the kingdom and its king, where there is real healing available, where there is true wholeness, recovery of our sight where we've been previously blind, healing where we've been previously deaf, wholeness to be raised up where we have been dead. Brothers and sisters, the call of Advent is a call to seek the kingdom above all else and see and know the power of Christ in our lives. And so we pray. Raise us up to life, Spirit of the living God, that we would rise up and be done with lesser things. Not that it negates the struggle, negates the trials, negates true pain. But that as is often nearly always the way in your kingdom, the way forward is the way of letting go and surrendering those expectations surrendering our own wills and finding peace and joy in the Holy Spirit through embracing your will. Lord, deliver your people. And Lord, burden us with a hunger for nothing lesser than in your glorious name that we pray, our Lord, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Life of true freedom. Restore to that soul, Lord, the joy of your salvation. Renew, Lord, right spirits within each of us this morning, we pray.